Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to Wes and Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm here at Stake 48 with Panthers legend and Fox Sports legend. I think you can say that now. Fox Sports analyst legend Greg Olson. He and his wife Kara Olson are hosting their upcoming charity event at Stake 48 to support the Hardest Yard Initiative. The third annual Hardest Yard Ungala will take place at 6 p.m. going through 9 p.m. on Monday, February 26th, right here at Charlotte's Stake 48. The guest list is star-studded. Again, they'll look forward to a cocktail reception and a three-course meal prepared by Steak 48, fine wine, a silent auction. Greg, this event has been such a force. This kind of atmosphere that Steak 48 provides, the guest, has the event matched your vision, what you set out to do with the Ungala a few years back? I would say it's probably surpassed it. I, I think when, when we first had these discussions with Steak 48, they, they've done some of these events at some of their other locations around the country with other um, nonprofits and other, you know, kind of local charities and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald and, and other professional athletes or just in different forms or fashion. And when they approached us and, you know, they said, listen, we, we understand just what you guys do here in the community and, the, and as, you know, kind of intertwined as you guys are and your story and what you do with the Children's Hospital, like you're a program that we could really get behind. And when they told us what they were willing to do and allowing us to use the entire restaurant and rent it out and, and host some of our, you know, we have over... 200 or so of our, our biggest supporters and, you know, local corp, you know, fortune 500 companies and CEOs and professional athletes and some of our donors and biggest supporters of the children's hospital. It's a, it's really an amazing cross section of the Charlotte community and really the Carolina communities at that. So it, it's a hallmark featured event on our, on our calendar. And for us to be able to host them in such an amazing rest, I mean, for anybody who's come here on just a regular Saturday night, it, there's a reason it's one of the biggest best restaurants in the entire country and we're yeah and we're fortunate to have it here in charlotte and for them to to close their doors to the public and just open them up to us for an entire night we do it in february because it's heart month um it's it's as special a night as we have on on our calendar and it's a big reason why we're we're able to continue to grow and um, and impact more lives and, and grow with our work at the Hardest Yard. Well, and of course, 100% of donations from the event are going to the Hardest Yard Program. The Hardest, H-E-A-R-T, Hardest Yard Program is a part of Receptions for Research that supports families of children with congenital heart disease. And for those that don't know, the Olson's son, TJ, was treated for congenital heart disease at Levine Children's Hospital right here in Charlotte. Greg, how old is TJ now? He's 11. How's he doing? He's doing awesome. Good. Yeah, he's had so he's had quite the journey. So our, our journey with the Hardest Yard started um, almost 11 years ago. So it, we, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary back in the spring of 2023. And um, so TJ was born with a very serious congenital heart defect shortly after I got traded here. So I got traded here in summer of 2011, played that 2011 season. And then in that, that off season during uh, OTAs, we found out that TJ was going to be born with congenital heart disease and was going to undergo multiple open heart surgeries and have a pretty difficult journey, especially in those first couple of years. So we went through that. Um, he had three open heart surgeries in his first two years right here at Levine Children's Hospital uptown. And then at eight years old, so about a little over almost three years ago, 
um, he had a heart transplant. He went into heart failure and needed to be transplanted. And so he did that um, in, you know, two, three, almost three years ago now, two and a half years ago and uh, June of 2021. So we are beyond grateful for the Lean Children's Hospital. Uh, we have our own outpatient Heart Discharge Congenital Heart Center that we were able to open a couple years ago. That's a 20,000 square foot state-of-the-art outpatient um, clinic for families to you know, bring their children to, and they'll be seen there for the rest of their lives, and all sorts of different programs that we've been able to bring just as a byproduct of events like this, events like Stake 48, supporters like Stake 48 that allow us to continue to grow our reach and our ability to fundraise, and all of that money goes up to the families and the work that they do at Levine Children's Hospital. No, and you're right. Like There are so many events. You can go to receptionsforresearch.org and, and find all of the donations, all of the different events that you have going on there in order to help children with congenital heart disease and on, on so many factors as well. So it's awesome to see the kind of work that you guys have done. It, does, does TJ kind of like getting involved? Is he just worried about playing baseball? Or, or is he like helping out as much as he can? He does. And I'd say one of the cooler things now is they've gotten older. You know, he's in fifth grade now. He has a twin sister. So we have twin fifth graders and a sixth grade boy. They're, they're old enough now that they don't come to the, they don't come to stake 48. This is an adult's, this is an adult's night. And even though they don't quite understand why they don't get to come, but you know, they volunteer at our 5k and we get to meet, you know, dozens and dozens of families that are out there with their congenital heart babies, or maybe their heart baby who, who's no longer with us. And they run in their honor or walk in their honor and, they volunteer at our – we have a golf outing um, here in Charlotte. We have a golf outing in Kiwa Island to help support. We just launched um, with MUSC Children's Hospital, the Hardest Yard. So now we've entered into our second um, facility. Now we have the biggest children's hospital in North Carolina, and now we're in part of the biggest hospital uh, – biggest children's hospital now in Charleston outside of um, – where, where Kiwa is outside of. So it's, uh, it, it's something that just continues to grow, and I think it's important for them to see – the impact that TJ's story has had and, and the amount of people that have rallied behind not just him, but now countless families and, and, and other kids that have come down a very similar path. Well, and yeah, that's what I want to talk about next. Like you guys raised over $275,000 with this event alone last year. That was about 75000 more than the year prior. And for reference, just what you were talking about. Last year's total was enough to pay for in-home nursing for over 60 families. Greg, I saw you speak at last year's event, too. It seems like that's the focus. You had an in-home nurse help care for TJ around the clock, and Kara said, hey, what if we can provide that for others who might not be able to afford that care for their children? To those of us that don't understand, like how important was it for you guys to have that kind of care from an in-home nurse and then recognize how helpful that is and how it could be helpful for others? Yeah, and that, originally that's what the Hardest Yard was. And and again, we still run that that branch of the Hardest Yard, still operates to this day. So you're exactly right. We we were in a position when we brought TJ home. It's called the inner stage, and it's about a, a four to six month window between being discharged from your first open heart surgery. So the baby, you know, so TJ was give or take a little over a month old. He was born. He had open heart surgery at two days old. He was in the hospital for call it a month, and then you bring him home. And then there's like a four to six month window that you just bring him home, and then he's got to go back to the back to the children's hospital and have a second open heart surgery. That's step two of the planned three. It's a it's a three stage approach to reworking the configuration of the heart to help them live. And in that inner stage, the mortality rate is, is still pretty high. Um, the fatality rate is pretty high, even considering how far they've come. So Karen and I thought it was important that we were in a position we could bring in a nurse who lived with us for that entire four-month um, process between surgeries for TJ. And we just saw such a difference in his growth, such a difference in, in his development, and 
just having that extra set of hands. And we, we approached the children's hospital and said, listen, we, we were able to do this for ourselves. Most people are not in a position to do it. What if we created a fund and a program that we offered this to all families at Levine Children's Hospital, regardless of background, regardless, there's no application. Everyone, everyone is eligible. And that's exactly what the hardest yard was. So we were eventually able to grow it big enough and have enough resources that the entire hospital, every single patient, regardless of how serious, where they were on that spectrum of serious seriousness of their congenital heart defect, that they would be eligible. And then from there, we were able to grow into you know, neurodevelopment clinics and we were able to build the Hardest Yard Congenital Heart Center, which is like our big capital project, which is actually like a, 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 a like a standalone outpatient service there up at the hospital. So we've, we've grown from there, but it all started with bringing specialists, nurses, therapists into the home of the families to help improve their lives and improve that transition from the hospital into the home. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's Greg Olson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I'm here at Stake 48 for the Hardest Yard Ungala taking place February 26th. Visit receptionsforresearch.org for more information on how you can possibly help out. Greg, the Panthers, they've undergone a ton of changes. Let's start with the head coach they hired in Dave Canales, who was offensive coordinator with Tampa last year. You have some firsthand experience with Canales. You were there in Seattle at the same time, your last year playing in the league in 2020. What are the Panthers getting in a guy like Dave Canales as their head coach? Yeah, so I spent that year out in Seattle, and and just by chance, so Dave was the pass game coordinator um, for multiple years. But, for again, I was just there for that one year. He was the pass game coordinator, and that year him and, and Pete decided that he was going to spend the year in the tight ends room. So he was not our tight end coach per se, but he was, he was in our tight end room during our individual meetings and of course he had you know his say with the offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer and the pass game and you know what they did as a group but so I got to spend every single day with him for the entire season and really connected with him personally and professionally as much as any coach on the on the staff and you know he was young he was energetic but he was very curious he was very open-minded he was very smart um, and I and I really enjoyed my time with Dave and then was really excited you know so two years later two three years later he got the opportunity to be the offensive coordinator for the first time you know he never really got that opportunity in Seattle and and I give him a lot of credit and I was happy for him he kind of was able to get out and spread his wings and get the opportunity that he took advantage of down in Tampa this past off this past season and he did a great job helping get them to the playoffs I think far succeeded far exceeded anybody's expectations and um, you know I think of the four teams in the NFC South going into the year I would say the expectations of them were the lowest and um, so obviously he deserves a lot of credit. Obviously Todd Bowles has done a great job down there. And uh, I think he did a great job with Baker Mayfield kind of resurrecting his career and standing in the league this past season. So I'm happy for Dave. I hope he does well. I hope he gets us back going. But I think you're going to get an energetic guy. He's the ultimate optimist. He's, you know, he's, he's positive. Oh, yeah, he is. Uh, and, that is and that is him. That is That was what he learned from Pete Carroll. That's the way they do business. And um He's going to bring that here. Yeah, and if you're in favor of it, then you like the QB reclamation projects that he was a part of, right? Like you see Geno in Seattle, at least while he was there. Then you go to Tampa, where he was in charge outright of the offense, and we got to see what Baker Mayfield was able to do, performing in the postseason, competing with the Detroit Lions. So if you like that part of it, Greg, I'll ask you, what did you see in Baker this year compared to years prior that allowed him to play well down in Tampa? And the most important question, can he apply that same thing to Bryce Young and find success with the number one overall pick? Yeah, and I think the answer is I, that's what he has to do. Like That's the expectation, right? I think, um, I think this, this hire 
was every bit about getting the culture and getting the organization and the locker room and everything on the right track and having some ability to sustain that for multiple years. We haven't, and we had just our last couple of coaches, we haven't, they haven't made it long enough to really make that turnaround or make that ingrain that culture into the program. And then obviously on the other end, the biggest investment that the organization has at this moment, of course, is Bryce Young. So getting him in a position where the offense is made to fit what he's good at, what the all young quarterbacks in essence need, regardless of who they are. And and I think that's what Dave did a good job is. I think if you said, all right, Dave, what's your what's your system? I don't think there's a clear answer. I think he would say, which is the right answer, I think he would say, my system is let me t- tell me who my receivers are. Tell me who my quarterback is. What kind of O-line? And I'm going to fit a system that's going to play to their strengths and protect them for their weaknesses. I think in today's modern NFL with the with the turnover and players departing to just say I'm going to play this style and I can only get players and if they don't fit, they can't play. Good luck. I just don't think it works in today's NFL. Well, and right, like I saw you making this point with Pat McAfee on your last appearance. It, everybody is hiring offensive minds, or most teams are ha- hiring offensive minds because you don't want to lose those guys as play callers. And if Dave Canales comes in here, and it is expected that he is going to be calling plays, if he comes in here and he is that guy calling all the plays, I think that provides stability for Bryce Young, who's already seen his play caller change twice just within his rookie season so if you have Dave coming in here and then whoever he hires as a play caller or an offensive coordinator I should say whoever he hires at least is going to be umbrella in the umbrella of this offense and if somebody does leave at least you have the guy in charge of all of it how much does that matter as long as they're successful of course uh, how much does that matter to somebody like Bryce Young I think it's critical. Yeah, right. So there's two op- there, there's two scenarios in the NFL. You're successful, and the more successful you are on offense, if you are not the head coach, that offensive play caller who did a great job apparently with the quarterback, he's going to get hired away to be a coach a la Dave Canales, right? It's the exact same scenario. But if you're the head coach, you can weather the success. Now, if you don't do if you don't do well, everybody's fired. We've seen that story as well. So you have to plan on success. If you go in planning for failure, you might as well not even make the hire or make, take the job, right? So everyone is always planning to have great success for a long period of time. So what is success going to bring? It's going to bring attrition. You're going to lose coaches. You're going to lose offensive coaches. We've seen it with the McVay tree. You've seen it with Shanahan. The, the ability to weather it is the play caller never changes. They just continue to replace the assistance in the support system around the quarterback and around the play caller, but that marriage between the quarterback and the play caller stays true. Right or wrong, that's why you tend to see more offensive play callers hired as head coaches because it's the only way to really get them in the door. And the reality is finding defensive coaches, you know, who would have ever thought Vic Fangio would be available? You know, he's one of the best defensive minds in the league, and all of a sudden he just he's out in Miami. Right? So, like, last year Steve Wilkes is available. there, there's ability to get, you know, Dan Quinn's been a defensive coordinator in Dallas now for three years. He's one of the best coaches in the entire league, and he's been a co- So it's hard to find great play callers. It's hard to find support and consistency around a quarterback. And once you do, you don't want to start over. You don't want to say, okay, that was great while it lasted, but now what, right? You're Detroit. Ben Johnson's been a revelation. Assuming they lose him, you got to replace them, and it's not easy. No, it's really hard, and I think when that's why, look, if you when you see Detroit lose, Dan Campbell goes to the podium after the postseason loss, and he says he felt like this was our year. 
Like it almost felt like that was a Ben Johnson comment to me because they feel like they're going to lose somebody so important to their success. This quote unquote genius who did a great job with that offense last year. And now it's going to be really tough to replace him. It's really hard. Yeah. We'll see what Dave Canales can do. Well, and so if we go back here to Carolina, we got the article from Joe Person and Diana Rossini from The Athletic, and they characterize the culture in Bank of America Stadium as a Hunger Games culture. Like, coaches couldn't get on the same page. Tepper reportedly had informants, and I guess guys were voicing their differing opinions more so compared to what Reich thought was the best for the team. How much of that being fixed falls on David Tepper and how much of that falls on the coach's plan Dave Canales just being successful in the first place yeah I I think the first step for Dave I think the state that the Panthers have been in for the last couple years everyone understandably so talks about Bryce and X's and O's and what style he's got to be under center more he's too much in the gun they need better receivers all that is fair none of that matters until a winning expectation a winning culture, and a healthy environment to foster that learning, foster that growth is is put in place. That's step number one for Dave. He's got to build a – Dave Canales, I mean. He's got to build – okay, I, I, I meant when I said that step – I don't mean Dave Tepper. I meant Dave Canales as the coach now. He's got to put his stamp and his identity on the organization and in the locker room. And that goes – step number one, building out the staff. There's been some rumors. I don't know if he's hired anyone officially yet. Has he? I know I know Idzik. So Idzik was with us in okay. Seattle. So I've known Brad. He was his wide receivers coach in, in Tampa. Um, I'm sure. And, 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 again, we'll see how that all shapes up. But, number one, the guys he puts on the staff, all understanding that they're all going in the same direction and they all have the ultimate goal. And their goal as a staff is to support Canales. And that way, Canales can implement his vision and his direction on the organization. It's not their job to agree with it. It's not their job to – he's got to bring in guys that support and see his vision and all pull in the same direction. That's step number one. The guys they get in the locker room, the expectation of winning needs to return. The expectation of doing things at a high level needs to return. Like All of that stuff far exceeds the immediate what plays are you going to run. Is he going to be under center? How are you going to get a better receivers? How are you going to fix it? That stuff will all come with time, but it is all secondary to everything else that Canales has to do upon taking this job, and that has to start in day one. And I think he understands that, and I think his his positivity and his energy, I think, will rub off on the guys. And the guys that it doesn't rub off on, they got to go, right? And I think they have to look at it from that standpoint is this is a, this is a, a fix first of the guys in the room to, build, to have a foundation that they can build the football on top of. If you just build the football and it's not built on all the other stuff, it's going to crumble. Well, and Greg, I know you kind of threw your hat in the ring. You were a little bit interested in, in getting this job. Were, was there anything formal? Was there an interview with David? No. No, I, no. I mean, the, you know, the report came out, you know, and then people asked me to follow it up. I think there was just speculation. Like, listen, here's a guy here that understands the culture of the Panthers. He was part of, the, you know, part of their most recent successful run, and you know, obviously, I've been around the NFL for a long time from a lot of different, you know, as a player for 14 years. And now my last couple of years, you know, meeting with the best coaches in the league on a weekly basis and getting a behind the scenes look at why certain teams are successful and why certain teams aren't. And I've learned a lot more about the NFL in my last three years than maybe my first 14 as a player. I, I've gotten access to it is not a coincidence why certain teams win and certain teams lose. And after every week of my meetings and studying and getting, you know, a lot of inside look at front offices and head coaches and and why certain teams operate the way they do 
people would not be surprised. The teams that you see winning, it's what they do all week. It's how they communicate. It's how they operate. Uh, the teams that you don't, same things to say. So uh, would I have entertained it? Absolutely. Would I have taken the job? I don't know. I, I think it would have to be the right situation. I think anybody would be crazy. Do I think I could do it? There's no question in my mind. I think, you know, everyone is so quick to to say, oh, you know, you're unqualified because you haven't done it. I played 14 years at a high level in the NFL. I would argue I've had more access to coaches' mindsets and, and building culture in locker rooms and X's and O's and understanding of the game than than any coach would have in over the same 14 years. So I, I think we mistake, you know, if I would have spent those 14 years as an assistant working my way up from quality control to a position coach, I would have been a great candidate. But because I was a player – or because I, I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic that the NFL has. I think it's going to take one former player to kind of break that mold and show, listen, I might not have come up the conventional route, but I'm damn good at this and I can do it. Whenever that guy does it, whenever that happens, I think it'll change the mindset of how people view coaches. But um, it's not something I pursued. I had no conversations with Tepper about it. But in my mind, do I think I could have done it? There, I have zero doubt in my mind. Well, and Greg, like the problem is, we all kind of want you in the booth too. Like we don't want you to leave the television screen. Are you a, a search uh, your name on Twitter guy? Okay, well, like if you have, everyone is in love with the way you call a game. Everybody thinks you're the best NFL color analyst. I agree with them. I, I it's been impressive. Like you're creative, you're informative, you're entertaining. The problem is you got a certain quarterback that you have to keep in mind that you're having to look over your shoulder and see if he's going to take that spot. Greg, is this a done deal or are you going to be back at Fox or do you have any clue what's going to happen at this moment? Yeah, I mean, from all, you know, all all indications are that Tom's going to come. We we knew what we signed up for two years ago when, when Joe and Troy left and, and all, everything went down. But, you know, Tom signed a deal that was going to be, you know, when he was done playing. And then he took this year off following his retirement from last season just to kind of get organized and take a deep breath, which I can't blame him after playing that long and everything he had been through. So I get that. Um, all indications are that he is going to come and we'll see what that means for me next. You know, I, I my, in a perfect world, I would love to do what I'm doing now for the next 20 years. That's why when the whole coaching thing came out, people were like, would you, would you want to just be a coach? I wouldn't just go choose to be a coach and pass what I'm doing now. I would do this for the next 20 years if I had the opportunity. Um, I love what I'm doing. I love being able to study the game. I love being able to share my views of the game, my insight, the way I see it, the way I talk it, the way I've learned it for a long time, which I think is from a very – you know, everyone always – talks about the quarterback and understandably so but I think aside from quarterback I think the way I was taught the game and the way I had to learn the game as a player was very unique you know there was not an element of the game on either side of the ball that I wasn't privy to or that I wasn't directly involved in in order to do my job it was it was kind of part of the job description and I think I've enjoyed sharing that perspective with the audience and I think for the most part maybe not everybody but I think for the most part people have enjoyed it and I I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it more than probably they have and it's been a fun challenge it's been something that I've had to learn it's been something that I'm still learning you know the the TV part, I know the football part the TV part to it I joke with with my crew all the time like I don't even know if I'm really a TV guy yet I, I don't know the lingo I don't know the cameras but I know football and thankfully I have an amazing crew that fills in the gaps and 
makes me look good. Well, and you know, the last thing I know you're busy, but like, yeah, you talk about putting the time in as a potential head coaching candidate for whatever franchise, I guess, as we talk about the Panthers, but like you did put the time in pretty visibly with doing this TV stuff. I remember you covering the combine for the NFL network. I remember you being a part of a, a bunch of different media outlets, just various spots here and there, even while you were playing in the NFL. And so, yeah, like I think Panthers fans would like to see you on the sideline coaching the Panthers, but we also want to see a leave TV. <laughs> I know. I wish I was calling this Super Bowl. I mean, Kelsey Kittle, those are my dudes from tight end U we do together. I mean, that would have been. Yeah, I saw you mix it up with Kittle. It would have been perfect. He's strong. He ripped my jacket, so I was mad at him. He owes me a button. But uh, the last thing I will say about the TV stuff that you brought up, it's funny. Everyone's like, oh, it, it happened so fast, right? You, oh, you got to be the top job, you know, and only your, what was it, my second year. But what they don't see is, like, 2014, you're, you're doing TV shows at what at the time was, like, Fox Sports South. It's not even a network. But, I mean, before I was even on, you know, I did a game in 2017 when I was a player for Fox um, on my bye week. But, I mean, even years before that, I mean, I, I did shows that aired on, like, local regional TV that no one even knew existed. And, you know, I was willing to kind of chase that and see what element of TV I liked. And that's when I landed on calling the games. And the reality is – Calling the games is the hardest part. Calling the games is, is hard. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of prep. And I, that's the part of it that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the grind of it. I enjoyed learning something new. And there's nothing like the excitement of, a, of being in the stadium of a game that you cannot you, – you think you know what's going to happen, but just like as a player, you prepare all week and then things go off the rails and can you stay with the game and, and continue to, to track it and communicate it. That's the part I really like and um, – but no, it wasn't a two-year journey. This has been a 10-year journey um, that I've tried to take advantage of every opportunity. That's Greg Olson, Panthers legend. Also, as I mentioned, Fox Sports legend as well. Here at Stake 48 for the third annual Hardest Yard Ungala. Again, taking place 6 to 9 p.m. on Monday, February 26th, here at Charlotte's Stake 48. An incredible atmosphere and incredible event. We mentioned the guest, the guest list is going to be star-studded, and that will be taking place February 26th. Please go to receptionsforresearch.org to see more information on how you can help and just gather more information on all of the things that the Hardest Yard program is doing for people in need. Greg, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it.